My head is so far up my ass. I just sat here for about a minute wondering why my mic didn't work. It's because I didn't turn it on. That's where I'm at. Where are you? So, a few people have been asking about the intros because they've been pretty quick and to the point and getting right into the episodes lately. And that's mainly due to, well, I guess it's a few things. One, I'm, I'm just busy and keeping up with these is, is uh, tricky. And two, I've been working some stuff out in my head, I guess. You know, I started this and I, I just dumped a lot onto this podcast. And then I started thinking, maybe that's not a good idea. Um, then I started thinking maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking for something by doing it. I don't know if it's empathy. I I don't know. I'm just guessing. Uh, I I don't know if I was looking for someone to just hear me. Maybe uh, maybe I didn't feel like I was being heard. I don't know. I've just been working that stuff my out, working that stuff in my head out and i i am going through a extremely transitional phase in my life and i haven't since i started this and i'm doing so much better now so much better than when i started this so the anxiety's pretty much curbed for the most part i can recognize what causes it. I can recognize my body's irrational response or my mind's irrational response to what's causing it. Um, I, maybe irrational's a bit harsh. My body was over-responding. Or my mind, not my body, my mind. And there's a lot of reasons for that it it was yelling at me because I wasn't paying attention and let me rewind because I I think I figured something out here I I realized once I was able to kind of get my my hands around the anxiety that the root of it well what was motivating I was working too much I, I was doing too much. I was putting too much pressure on myself. I was overdoing everything. And a lot of that was motivated by fear. And I've just come to realize how toxic that is. I was never like this growing up and trying to figure out where it changed, why it changed was what I was it's what I was doing if you know figuring out what what had happened inside my head and what had happened in my life to me, put me there because I was I was always very happy and I, I don't I had a healthy confidence I wouldn't say I was 
arrogant. I, I was always kind of centered, but I was never insecure. So realizing that fear and where where this fear was my motivator and where it was coming from, well, it was coming from a, a long time of trying to get this career going, as, as I've said before. It was coming from an overwhelming sense of an overwhelming oh my god I cannot fucking talk an overwhelming sense of responsibility having children uh, and being the the main source of income in the household and I you know throw in being overworked and I was overworked because I was the fear was motivating me to get things done faster because I was afraid of, of money, of not having enough money. I was afraid of being labeled as slow. I was just, I, I was trying to please everyone around me, but not myself. That's it. That's a, that's it. That's a good one. That's what it was. Um, so, it's a, it's a silly way to be. Uh, money, money's real, and I get that. And, and in all honesty, uh, we we scrape by. And I'm at forty three with two kids. That gets a little, little hard, a little old to constantly be worrying about it. So, whatever, it is what it is. And I'm giving, letting that go. And that's what I'm doing is letting everything go. So I had a lot of the fear. Uh, had was feeding off of anger and i i'd say i guess resentment but it's not towards anyone it's more towards why aren't things going better for me and i know they're not going bad they're going very well but remember this is my toxic mind here telling me they're not it's not a rational thing. It's not a logical thing. But it's what my mind had convinced me was real. So when I was able to get my hands around the anxiety and kind of curb that, I felt a lot of anger start to bubble up. It was like I had opened the door that had been locked and I needed to get this out. And I just realized how angry I was. And and I know I've said this before, this isn't a revelation, but I, I thought I was kind of past it, but it's it's lingering there, and it lingers there because I hold on to it. That's what I realize is you you choose these things. You choose happiness or you choose anger or as much as you don't want to believe that or as much as I didn't want to believe that, I I know it's true. So coming to that realization makes it very easy to say, I choose not to think that. I choose not to think about, not to think negative thoughts. I choose positivity and happiness. And, and I, and I'm, and I am, and, and it's changing. And I, I feel like things are really good now. And it's almost as if there's this, I don't know, little 
little angel just helping me along. And she's helped me quite a bit. So it feels good to take that back and take control back. And I've, I've made a lot of changes about how I think about the work I want to do. I want to be motivated by... I, I used to just think you have to take the job that's in front of you because that's that's the work and you have to do the work. And I had kind of pushed down the the, for lack of a better word, artist side or creative side. Like I had I had come to a point where whenever I heard what I was calling artsy fartsy talk, I just, it just annoyed me. But there's some truth to it. Just feeling inspired helps. And enjoying the work helps. And you're going to do your best when you pick projects and when you do work that you want to do and work that inspires you and motivates you and stop worrying about schedules. I've done enough work. I know I'm not unreliable. I know I'm not super fast and I know I'm not super slow. And none of that really matters I'm just going to do what I want to do in the time I need to do it and that's not an unreasonable amount of time and that's what I, I had come to realize so yeah the, the, there's a lot of that I, I don't know I I don't know if that gets it all out but that's kind of where, where uh where my head is at. So I'm feeling really good about things and I'm, I've made a lot of changes in life and 2016 I think is going to be a, a birth for me in a lot of ways, a, re, a, a birth of a new way of being. And I'm very excited about that. And I'm not going to work. You know, it's crazy. Like I know I say I work a lot and I hear people say they work a lot. But the reality of my working a lot is that's all I did. I worked seven days a week, every free minute of every day. I, sure, I wasn't an absent father or husband, but I worked around all that, and I just constantly worked. And I, I got, you know, I, I do get to yoga classes and, and stuff, but that was more, but I, I would come back from yoga and just immediately get right back to stress because I would sit down to work and that's just not a healthy way of being. So I'm, I'm not going to work seven days a week anymore. That's just a, a choice I'm making. My life is in my hands and my career is in my control. It's not, it's not up to anyone else. And that's what I've come to realize too. So I'm, I'm in a good space. So I've got nothing more to say here, and this is the last episode of the podcast. No, it's not. It's not. I can still talk to you all, and I'm sure I'll have my moments. Believe me, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, I've got uh, – I, I just have a lot going on right now, but I'm making changes so that it's not too much. See, I I had – convinced myself that a working a 50 hour week is not busy 
And I had kind of, like I, in a sick way, my mind was like proud of how much work, how many hours I was putting in. It's sick. It's sick. I was not living my life. I was not, wasn't doing anything. I, I don't have a social life. I don't, I, I just fucking work. So I've got, uh, I've changed that. I've changed that. I want to, I want to live. My, my life is not defined by how much I get done in a day. It's going to be defined by feeling good throughout the day. So, yeah. So that's me checking in. Um, so, and I've kind of, you know, I've been so busy, I haven't really been active on social media lately. But also, I just, I don't understand what I'm, what I want from it. I Sure, I want to promote projects and stuff, but, you know, when when I read through, like, my feeds, I just see so much narcissism, preaching, fakeness, and it's gross, and I, I don't want to, I don't have an interest in that. So, um, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to use it, how I want to use it, if that makes sense. All right. So today, well, not whenever you're listening to this, whatever day that is, this is part one of a two-part episode with Cameron Stewart. And I really enjoyed this conversation I had with Cameron. I've I've known Cameron for a little while now. He was an early guest when I was teaching at SCAD. I had him out. And I've always been impressed by his work. He's fantastic. But when he came out, I got to see how his mind worked. And that was that was really impressive. I shouldn't say impressive. I really liked to see how much thought he was putting into everything he did and how well he could explain why he was doing and what he was doing. And he had a real, real passion for this. But he's also just a nice person. And I, I, I just, I, I like talking to Cameron. In fact, I don't know. It's a, a may, maybe it's a, I don't want to say stereotype, but maybe it's, you've heard it before, that Canadians are just nice. And I got to say, my experience with almost everyone from Canada that in this business that I've come to know, they're just the nicest most genuine people I've met and I really enjoy their company. So getting Cameron on was really, really exciting for me, getting to sit down and, and talk with him on here. I, I honestly didn't know if, if he'd be into it. And uh, we had an awesome conversation. So this is part one and, of course, you'll get part two on the next episode. But thank you, Cameron, for doing this. 
Enjoy Ink Pulp Audio with Cameron Stewart, Part 1. So how's Scotland treating you? Scotland is um, pretty good. The first few months, I would say, of being there were kind of kind of rough. It was kind of difficult. Why? Um, I didn't really know a whole lot of people there. Yeah. And I'd just come out of a breakup. Right. Like the the whole purpose of moving there was kind of like new chapter, start right, after right. you know, start again after a breakup. And so getting there and, and after living with my girlfriend for like three years, living on my own again. And that was in Germany? That was in Berlin in Germany. Yeah. Right, okay. Um so you know, like sort of adjusting to a new life of being single again and everything. Right. And then and then um I arrived in Scotland in the middle of winter. And it's just gray and wet and, and everything. And, <laughs> Isn't and, it uh, always like that? Yeah. Well, we have like we, yeah. There, there's the occasional nice day and everything, but but uh-huh. for the for the most part, yeah, it was it's 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 pretty gray and, pr- and pretty wet. And um, the whole reason why I moved over there in the first place was that Frank Quitely had basically extended an invitation. I was talking to him. I'd went over to visit uh, just I was socially. Ask you about that. And he was, and I was saying like, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to move somewhere. I didn't know where yet. I didn't feel like going back to Canada yet. And, um, and he was like, why don't you come here? It's, you know, Glasgow's a great city. You'll love it. And, you know, you can work out of this studio. So I was like, holy shit. So like, he has a studio. Out- he and, and a bunch of other people oh, okay. all, were all working out, uh, out of this Studio that over the years has actually become kind of well known in mm-hmm. in Scotland, anywhere in Glasgow, called the Hope Street Studios, uh-huh. um, and it was uh, it's run, it's owned and run by Jamie Grant, who um, is a colorist. He did the colors on All Star Superman. Okay, okay, okay. And uh, so I, you know, I I was like, okay, great, I'll join this studio, and that was the whole thing. You know, Quietly has been one of my, fa- if not my favorite comic artist yeah. forever. And so being invited to share studio space sure. with like one of your heroes. That's I was like, amazing. I can't, I can't say no to that. Hell no. So I go over and unfortunately due to um, just space and the way things worked out, I didn't actually get to share the studio space. <laughs> I, was put in, I was put in basically like my own little room on a, co- on a totally different floor. Oh, so man. for the, f- yeah, for the first, you know, six months of being there, I was working in this tiny little shoebox office on my own Ooh. basically. And if I wanted to, you know, I could go upstairs right. and, and have a cup of coffee or whatever, which right. I would sometimes do. I'd go up and, you know, we'd talk for a little bit and have a cup of coffee and then go, well, time to go to work. And then I would go downstairs and then I wouldn't see him for the rest of the day right. or see anybody up there for the rest of the day. Uh, and that went on for about six months. And so I was like, Working on my own in this little box and then going home to an empty apartment oh, in the hard. middle of like this gray wet weather. So it was, it was yeah, it was pretty rough for the Were first Were you second while. guessing the move at that point? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, uh, however, now what happened is, is that, uh, quietly and the, and the other people on that upper floor, um, all left that, uh, Hope Street and went to a new, uh, building, okay. which is, uh, this really beautiful, it's like an old, fish market or something uh-huh. that's been transformed into artist studios uh-huh. they're like city subsidized oh, wow. um and there's there was room for me there oh, cool. so now so i've only been there for now for just like a little over a month okay but that's it's much changed better. everything it's completely changed everything I'm because sure. now i'm going and i'm actually spending my days you know in the same room with other people and they're they're all great and you know there's o- only um I, I'll just call him by his real name. Vin. Vin is Frank Quitely. Right, it, right. Um, 
only he is the uh, is a comic artist. And I was going to ask you. So yeah, then there's, okay. there's like a, there's a painter. There's a guy who does animation, and then there's another guy who's another Canadian actually, who's a uh, who's a teacher at the School of Art. And okay. he's a painter as well. And he's, like, dabbling in comics here and there. But uh-huh. but, uh, but Vin and I are the only, like, comics artists there. Um, and then there's, like, Mark Miller and Grant Morrison are there as well. Right. Um, not together. But they're, <laughs> right, right, right. But they're, they're both uh, in that city. But I've never seen them. I actually, like, apparently I live in, in Miller's neighborhood. Oh, really? And people are always like, oh, yeah, you'll probably see him at the shops or whatever. And I actually haven't run into him. Do you him know him? So I've, I've met him a handful of times many, many years ago. Right. I actually worked with him on Superman Adventures like way, way back okay. in the day. When wow. He was, you know, like when he was just sort of making his name before okay. he became massively huge. Um, and I hadn't done a whole lot of work yet. And I, and I, did, uh, I did just like a very small amount of this Superman stuff with him. And, but you've worked with Grant. So do you know Grant? Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's in Scotland still. He's like half Scotland and half LA. That's right. Okay, I was going to um, ask. I thought it was and in it's LA. really strange because his wife, um, I'm you know friends with her on Facebook. Grant doesn't really do a whole lot on the internet, but right. his wife takes care of everything, and so she she'll post stuff, and it'll literally be like one day they'll post a picture, and they'll be in LA, and the uh-huh. next day it'll be in Glasgow, <laughs> and I and I can never tell where they're going to be or where they. I like it seems like they go back and forth all the time, which seems exhausting. Have to you me. tried to get together with them since you've been there? Or I, I actually, I, I never know when a good time is, just because right. they're they're always on the go and they're always doing things. So um, I would like to. I mean, that was also one of the the purposes of moving there was I thought that um, you know Grant and I have worked together a lot, and right. and I would like to continue doing so in the future. Sure. And we have we have the the you know fabled third Sea Guy volume to do, and right. Um, just anything, you know, I'd love to do another creator on thing with him or whatever. And I thought it would be really great to be in the same city. Like one of the reasons why I think he and Vin work so well together. Uh And I think one of the reasons for that is because they're actually able to sit in the same room and talk out the pages and what's going to happen and you know, how to, how to do it. And because I've only ever worked with Grant via email. I've, I've met with him socially, um, you know, at conventions or uh-huh. whatever. I, I was part of a thing where there was a university in Scotland in Dundee that did a uh, kind of a, a day where they had him and a, and a bunch of the artists that he's worked with come and, you know, just talk about him and his work. And, uh-huh. and so we hung out there. When so was that? Was that, that was, before uh, you moved there? It was before I moved there. Yeah, okay. that was last year sometime. Okay. It was while I was living in Germany. Um, but it was me and Vin and, and Fraser Irving mm-hmm. and Ryan Hughes and Pete Doherty and, like, you know, like kind of the usual suspects. Of, Do you know Ryan? Ryan Hughes? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love his stuff. He's amazing, yeah. Yeah, he's unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tom- he did, did you see the James Bond logo that he did? I did, I did. It's so good. It's like it has this perfect – it looks at once – really retro but also totally modern yeah. like, I, I think it. i saw it's your really tweet you said yeah. something like that yeah. yeah it's really cool that's awesome so talk to me you you have this wanderlust yeah you uh you're from canada i'm canadian born but canadian i'm a dual born. um uh, canada and united kingdom citizen how is that um uh, my parents are both from the uk okay so my dad is from scotland my dad's from glasgow Oh, okay. And, and my mom is from Portsmouth. So do you have family in Glasgow? None who are living. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, I didn't go over there for family. I just like – I th- part of it – I mean initially it was spurred on just because Vin invited me. But then there was also this secondary kind of element of like, oh, well, it's it's where my family's from. Get back so to your roots. I, you know, I should go. So um, 
But I grew up sort of half in Canada and half in England and kind of went back and forth. Throughout How my do life, you so. have dual citizenship if you're born in Canada? Because my, my parents are from... So if from, your parents yeah. are from there, you automatically yeah. get... I, th- I think it might be specifically your father. Oh, okay. But because my dad is from the UK, um, I'm just automatically granted citizenship for that. So okay. I've had I've had a British passport my whole life. I've had, you know, okay. everything. And I moved over... The first time I moved on my own to England was when I was 17. Oh, wow. I finished high school. Uh, I'd lived there when I was very young, mm-hmm. like when I was, um, you know, like up until the age of seven or eight or something, and then over to Canada. And so, and then, and then I went through school, went through high school. And then when I finished high school at 17, I moved back over to England on my own. For what, what was drawing you back there? That was just kind of like, I mean, it was a mix of, of, being a teenager and and having that thing of like I'm gonna go away somewhere exotic and sure, be right. very interesting because all of my friends were staying in the same place and I right, was gonna, but you did it, yeah, yeah. Um, and then part of it was just that, yeah. I mean, because I because I'd grown up partly in England as well, um, I had a you know a, an affinity for it and and kind of wanted to just go back. So I went back there for like. I think it was like three or four years, and then I had to come back to Canada again. For what? I had some family stuff that I had to come back and take uh, okay. care of. Okay. Um, where in Canada were you born? In Toronto. Okay. And so when you went back, you went back to Toronto. Yeah. And yeah. And you were there for a good bit after that. Yeah, I was there for. Uh, God, it was a long time. It's like 10 years, something like that, I guess. Okay. And then you, that's before you went to Germany. And then you went right from there to Germany? No, I, I lived in, I left Toronto in 2008. Right. And then I lived in um, Montreal for okay. years. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so it's funny when people ask me where I'm from in Canada, even though I only lived in Montreal for like four years, I still, I, I really deeply love Montreal and I feel like that's kind of a, my other Canadian home. You know? What did you love about Montreal? It's just a great city. It's like uh, I initially moved there because it was cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Carl Kershaw yeah. was sharing the studio in Toronto. It was like me, Ramon Perez, Carl Kershaw. Oh, Carl um, was in. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. You guys were all yeah. in Toronto. Okay. Scott Hepburn, Andy Belanger, you uh-huh. know, like that whole crowd. We all had the studio together. Um, which is still running, this, Raid. the Raid studio. Right. Um, and Carl, it's funny, like Carl literally just vanished one day. He like, he went on a trip to Montreal and never came back. <laughs> it was really strange. It was, was he, how, was this before he was married? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I remember like, and he, yeah, he kind of sent an email and he was like, yeah, I've just decided I'm going to stay here for a while. And, um, is that, is that Carl? That's kind of Carl in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe not so much now that he's like right, right. You know, he's married and kids and settled and everything. But, um, and so I went to go visit him because I'd never, I don't think I'd been to Montreal at that point or whatever, but I went to go visit and I went and, and, you know, crashed on his couch for a couple of days and everything. And, and it was in the middle and Montreal in the summer is absolutely beautiful. And, uh, and I went and I was just like, wow, this is, this is a great city. It's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of, it's very European feeling. Like the reason right. why I left Toronto and moved to Montreal, aside from just the fact that it's cheap and it's beautiful is that it, it was a way to sort of like ease myself into living in a totally different culture because, okay. uh, when you're in the old part of Montreal in the, in the city, um, in the old city, it feels like you're in France. 
It's right, because it's one French of the oldest Canadian. parts of, of Canada, and okay. the, all the buildings are you know hundreds and hundreds of years old, and um, and it's French and everything. Uh-huh. And uh, so, yeah, it was just kind of like the first step of I'd, I'd known that I wanted to move over to Europe at some point, just because I've had this thought of I, I think it's really valuable to go and live in a different place that's different from where, yeah, you've, I agree. You know, where I, you've been all your life and kind of have like a just an experience as, as from an outsider and see see how your where you came from is perceived from another place or mm-hmm. you know or just you know see just by being immersed in a different culture i think so it, it tell forces me you to, i want to know um we'll go through each place mm-hmm. what what you what how that experience changed you like how did Mont- living i mean montreal wasn't culturally that different but it was a little different yeah it was like i say it was kind of like the stepping stone of of uh easing into it you know and then while i was in montreal i ended up kind of getting involved with uh a woman from paris oh. and i went and traveled over to paris a lot of times like I would you know like I would go over there for a week and then come back for a, few, a couple months and then go back over to Paris for a week or whatever so uh-huh. I was I, I mean I can't I would never claim that I lived in Paris but but it was another sort of step towards actually pulling the trigger and moving over to Europe okay yeah so you it was coming you, you had, yeah so and then you chose Germany yes why Germany um that was because so I was on a uh, tour in 2009 with Carl and Ramon okay. and we were going around all these European comics festivals. Um, now, was this a tour because you all had books out or you were just doing this? We as- – I, I don't even remember how it started but we were – I think we were like one or a couple of us were invited to uh, a thing and then we, we were we were all just talking about how great it would be to set up a European tour mm-hmm. and um, experience a lot of have you been to any European comics festivals? I, I haven't been out of this country. Oh, so I mean, that's why oh, I'm right. so yeah, enamored okay. with everything. That's why I'm always asking yeah. you what's it like. Um, it, like comics events in Europe are vastly different than they are here. There's there's some kind of American style ones where it's all about superheroes and right. there's the, you know, vendors selling merchandise and so on. But a lot of European comics festivals are much more sort of artistic and cultural celebrations sure, and they're sure. recognized as such by the by the government. So they'll be like or just by, you know, culture. So right. there will be um they'll be funded by by tax money or whatever so um they're they're officially set up as as legitimate sort of cultural events right 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 um right. And so they have you know the budget to to do these quite lavish um affairs so i had been invited with ed brubaker uh, i can't remember what year it was but we were invited to go over to this one in portugal um and it's incredible and they they like they build an art gallery, basically. They'll transform like a public space. The, yeah. They'll so um, the first year that I went to it was like a train station and then another year it was a multi level car park. Okay. And they and they erect like a, a little make not makeshift because it's actually quite impressive, but they build this art gallery within it and it's all divided into rooms and they decorate each room individually to reflect the work of the artist whose work is being displayed there. Right. So they'll like paint your drawings huge on the walls or make sculptures of characters wow. and stuff and put them in there. And uh, so 
Yeah, it was really amazing. So I and that was my first experience ever doing that. And so I was telling Ramon and Carl about it and and I think we just had the idea of like let's let's just see how many of these we can hit. Oh, wait, wait, we'll get there. I want I yeah. want to know more about this Portugal thing. What's it like to walk into a room full of your art done by other artists? Is that a strange... It's really cool. Um I mean, okay, yes, there's the uh, there is the part of me, the perfectionist part of me that twitches a little <laughs> bit where I look at it and I go, that's not quite, you know, you did your best sort of copying my right. drawing and painting it as a huge, you know, eight foot mural. Um, but I mean, how petty am I going to be to complain about that? Right? Sure. Like, I mean, it's so, it's so cool to, to see that sort of translated into like, see the work that you've done translated into this so what, space. What's, what work of yours uh, w- was on display in this. The first gallery. one, it was it was Catwoman and Sea Guy. Okay. Um, so they they'd blown up these big panels of Sea Guy and painted them on the wall. And they'd asked me in advance to select twenty five pieces, twenty five mm. pages. Okay. And send them so that when I arrived, they they were all properly framed and hung and lit wow. like like you would find in a gallery, you know. Um, and that was a new experience for me. I'd never like had... printed pages or original. No, no originals. Oh wow! Yeah, so I had never seen my artwork displayed that way before. Okay, so that was really thrilling. Okay, you know, to like just have it seem like it's a legitimate thing. You know, sure. like I think we, in in North America, there's still. I think it's better now than yeah. it used to be. But there was always there's been this struggle of like, is this a legitimate art form or is this trash? Right. right? And right. you know, lowbrow entertainment. And, sure. Um, and uh, as I say, in, in in Europe, in a lot of places in Europe, it's absolutely seen as a, a valid art form. Right. And and are treated in in that way. So like a famous. A cartoonist is revered in the same way that a filmmaker is or a okay. poet or a painter or whatever. So going and seeing my work, you know, framed beautifully and hung and lit with little placards next to it and everything was like, wow, I'm in a, I'm in a museum. Like this, That's is, awesome. this is really cool. So, you know? and you said there were other rooms with other artists. Yeah. It was like all the guests that were there. Had were all, you there with you know, Stuart Eminent at the same time? I, I was never there with Stuart. I'm, I think I re- he may have been there. Yeah. Cause I, when I, you, when I had you and him come to the school, you were both talking about that. Right. Okay, yeah. So he may have been uh, another year than okay. I was. So. Who was there when you were there? Um, it was Ed Brubaker. Of the of the sort of English-speaking uh-huh. scene, it was Ed Brubaker and Jim Woodring. Oh, okay. Uh, and was there anybody else? I think that was it for the, for the English language guests. And then they had a bunch of... You know, they had like Italians and people from Spain and and a bunch of local Portuguese okay. artists and so on. And and the event runs for a month. Oh wow! And what they uh, what they and the, this gallery is open to the public and whatever. And then um, they would have the uh, the events, the signings, and interviews and panels and things just on the weekends. Okay. So they so what was amazing about it is they you know they fly you over. You do your first weekend, then you have a whole week to do whatever you want on their dime. Oh wow! And then yeah, they'll put you. They put us up in like a four star hotel oh, wow. like the whole time. <laughs> and then yeah, so you do two weekends worth of oh, okay. of stuff, right? You know, and then and they stagger it out so that you know there's there's four weekends because the whole thing goes for a month. So it's pretty amazing. It's, but I'm, you I'm were there for a total of like I was there for like oh. seven days. Okay. Okay. I think yeah. Seven or eight days. Okay. And just like, just incredibly 
wonderful, nice people, you know, uh-huh. everyone I met there was super, super incredible. And, um, so I've been back to that festival a, a couple times. So they had you back again and made another room of your stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. How I, many times have they done that? Uh, I've been there. Have I been there three times or twice? I think I've wow. been there three times. Yeah. Um, and the time that I went with, uh, with Carl and Ramon was really amazing. Um, oh, so they they were were did they each have a room also? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. that's awesome. So it was for the, that year is when we were doing the web comic stuff, right? So Cuckooberry, Carl, yeah. So Ramon's room was like decorated with Cuckooberry stuff, uh-huh. and Carl like they'd built like uh, a forest. They'd like made these like trees in the wow. middle of the room and had like a a, stu- a statue, kind of like a stuffed animal version of Charles Christopher okay. in the room. and Carl walked into the room and like had tears in his eyes. Like it That's was unreal. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Wow. And then after, you know, in the evenings, the, the festival director would like take us out, um, and take us to his favorite restaurant. And he, it's funny because he was walking us around and telling us just stories of, you know, Oh, this is where my first girlfriend and I came and whatever. Like he was, he oh, was just wow. kind of really opening up to us yeah, and giving yeah, yeah. us, these, these real kind of intimate personal experiences. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it's an incredible experience. I love it. It's, That's it's amazing really, to have yeah. that with, with two buddies that you kind of grew up with in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's it was awesome. fun. It was a fun, it was a, definitely a fun trip. And we, we'd managed to, like, we, we had it organized that we, we went from kind of festival to a store signing to another festival. So we, we went through France and Belgium and, and this was your tour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty great. It was a, it was a fun. I think it was in like the fall. So, w- were you when you were going through this tour, kind of figuring out, I want to move somewhere over here? Oh, right. I forgot. Yeah, I was building to this. So, so we were in. We were actually in London. We did a signing uh, at Orbital Comics in London, mm-hmm. and we met up with um, Ryan Hughes that okay. evening. And he took us to in London. They have these private clubs that people can go to that are like different than going to a pub. Uh-huh. Um, it sounds kind of shitty to say it sounds kind of like it's, but it's like if you don't want to go to like a regular pub and right. be surrounded with like normal people, there are these membership clubs you okay. go to. Okay. It's kind of like Soho house. I don't know if you've ever heard of that kind of thing. There's mm-hmm. like Soho houses. Ramon Perez goes to Soho house in Toronto, a mm-hmm. lot in LA and stuff. Yeah. And, but you, you pay like a monthly fee and you go and it's just like, it's just a really nice, kind of bar restaurant for members only for members only. Okay. Um, and I'm, and so Ryan Hughes is a member, um, of this, this one in London and, um, managed to like blag the three of us in as his, his guests. Uh-huh. And we went and we ended up just sitting at a table with a whole bunch of people and talking. And, and I ended up sat next to this guy who was from Berlin and we were we were talking, and he was just telling me about Berlin and about just what a cool city it was. And he he said that Berlin was like the the Montreal of Europe, okay, which kind of sold me on it. I was like, oh wow, that's great. And and um, so and I'd heard over the years, I'd heard all these stories about how Berlin was just like this really cool. It's like a hipster city for sure, but it, but you know, it's like <laughs> right. a really cool place, but also phenomenally cheap. And so you get all the benefits of a major European capital, but, uh, at like a fraction of the cost of living in Paris or, you know, Rome or any of these other major cities. Um, so yeah, so I, I just sort of had it in my head that I was gonna, 
going to move there. And you knew nobody there. I knew nothing. I'd never set foot in Germany in my life. And, and I, but I just was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to do it. And so in 2012, I did it. I moved over there. And it was funny because I, because I, the, the girlfriend that I alluded to earlier that, um, I'd already made the decision that I was going to move to Germany Uh and then I met her and I was like, fuck now what? Right. And, uh, so we were talking and I was like, I kind of, I'd kind of made up my mind already that I was going to move to Europe like this year. And where was she? Uh, she was in, she was also in Canada, she was in, uh, but she was in Victoria, British Columbia. So met her like an internet thing, Uh met her, met her on Instagram actually of all places. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, I went out to visit and stuff and, and, uh, and we were, we were just talking and I was like, I was like, I, I've made the decision. I'm going to move to Europe this year. I don't know if that's a deal breaker for us. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, we talked about it a little bit and then she was like, well, how would you feel if I came with you? Cause she felt like she wanted to go somewhere okay. new, you know, she'd lived in Victoria for 10 years or something. And she was like, I maybe, maybe it was time for her to do a bit of exploring and a bit of adventure on her own as well. So, um, so we were like, all right, well let's, let's do it together. So, so we moved over in yeah 2012, moved over there together. Did you, uh, all right. Did you always have this like fearlessness about, I mean, to move to a foreign country you've never been to and know no one mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. was it scary at all? I mean, I'd imagine it's it was not, exciting. Yeah, it sort of is. Yeah. And I mean, but to, like I have this internal governor that is, it would prevent me from, it's probably prevented me from experiencing things that I, probably would have liked to experience. I don't know if it's fear or or what, but just something that says that's a big risk. Yes. Do you have, I guess you, you, I mean, you're not taking ridiculous risks, but you're able to just go do something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, we always like that. That's what I'm trying to get at. I think so. And I think like partly moving back and forth when I was younger between the UK and Canada had already sort of set a precedent for, okay. for moving overseas. I gotcha. But at that point, I mean, obviously I wasn't doing it on my own. It was, it was my parents who were, you know, doing, making those decisions for me basically. Right. Um, but I'd already had the experience of sort of uprooting and moving right, across the ocean. Right, so that a wasn't a foreign whatever, thing so. for you. Um, so I'd already, I'd already done that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it just came from, if I, you know, if I'm going to be truly honest, which I should be on this show, yeah. is uh, <laughs> I know that part of it is, is this kind of desperate need to feel interesting. Okay. To other people, like <laughs> okay, like you know, like, so by by living somewhere and doing stuff, living somewhere different and exotic, and making these sort of moves, it makes you interesting. Yeah, kind of. Okay. You know, like and and it's a thing. People, are, oh my god, you've lived in Europe. Right. Like, what's that? I, like? I know. You know? I'm always so, like that. With and you. Uh, and so I know that part of it is motivated by that. It's, where where do you think that comes from? I mean, I think I think all of us doing this drawing for a living have something like, "Hey, look at me." Yeah. I mean, there's some of that in all of us. Yeah, sure. Where do you think yours comes from? Uh, a, a deep, a deep insecurity. From from what? Oh, uh, from my childhood, and 
I didn't have a great childhood. What happened? Um, well, if you if you have read Sintitolo, my, yeah, my gra- there's a lot of autobiography. Yeah, I remember book. you telling me yeah. that. So um, I had uh, I had a not great childhood, and it yeah, and it's it's one of those things where when you when you have um, when you have a childhood that's that's got abuse in it, mm-hmm. um, both sort of physical and and psychological. You know, it creates that that thing of of like needing to validate yourself, right? You know, yeah, because, yeah. Because you're, was this a parent? Yeah, it was my dad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, my dad and I and I currently I don't have any relationship with. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I don't. Um, just because. I, yeah, I had just such a, a deeply unpleasant experience when I was a kid, and I hit. And when I when I became autonomous uh, as an adult, uh-huh. I was like, ah, I'm done with this. You know, like I don't need this anymore. How so, old were you when, when, when that happened? Th- that was when I was in my. Um, I think it was when I was in my early twenties. Whereas when I when I kind of hit the point where I was like, I don't need I don't need this in my life. I don't so need. did you? Did you make an announcement? Did you say this is I'm done with you or did you just quietly no, I just, disappear? I just stopped. And there was no And there was no attempt on his part to okay. to either. So I, I I can only assume that it's mutual. Okay. You know, like um because yeah, it's like every year on my on Christmas or my birthday or whatever, I, I'm I'm like half expecting that the phone's going to ring or I'll get an email or something and being like, hey, let, you know, let's talk, and it's never come, and so, and I'm not hard to find, right? No, you know? no, like, I mean, not. it's like he he could find me if he wanted to, sure. So, so I think, uh, yeah. So it was, and I'm not like I'm not, I'm not sitting there desperately yearning for this, sure. but but I have this sort of this half. Well, yeah, expectation, like, like you know, maybe this will, maybe this will resolve itself at some point. It will, well, it won't resolve itself, but maybe I'll hear from him or whatever. Um, so, as I say, so it's, it's, it's. I can only assume that it's so because of that. That's yeah. That's you know, to okay. be totally frank. That's 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 given me a lot of like insecurity. Sure, about, like, sure. Am, I, am I good enough? Understand am I whatever. Right, right. And um, and and. I, you know, the thing that I have to stress always, and this has been a thing that I've had to stress to like girlfriends or whatever is like in a, in a way that's valuable because that's what pushes me forward. Okay. It's like, it's that feeling of never being satisfied, never being happy, never being like, I need to do better. I need to prove myself. I need to, you know, um, that drives me. Right. You know? Right. Um, but it's more than – it's greater than just like I need to prove that I'm – I can draw well. It's like I need to prove that I can draw well so I can prove my validity as a human. Right, right. You know? Um, so. Yeah. I mean I have those feelings but I don't have that background. I, I, I'm always trying to figure out why why do I have this mm-hmm. this this piece of me. There's no, no trauma in your – No. I, I mean, I had a, a really nice childhood. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I spent time thinking about it, trying to figure out where this comes from. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think all of us have it. Like, yeah. I, I think I, I, there's 
it's, I mean, it's I interesting know. because, you know, like every creative person who's worth their salt that I've talked to, we all struggle from the same right. thing. We all struggle with this like imposter syndrome of like right. not good enough. Everyone else is better at this than me. Yeah. I got yeah. to prove myself to these other people. Like, don't understand that. Like people who I'll know who don't do this, mm-hmm. they don't understand that. They're like, oh, but look at how good that is. And you're like, well, I don't see it as, yeah, yeah, yeah. as that good. I just see it yeah. as a bunch of problems. And I look at everyone else and how good they are. Yeah. And I'm not in that category yeah. in my head. But you are. That's the, that's the thing. It's like it's it's a weird and, – and what you're saying is exactly how I feel. But people will say to me, well, you know, like what are you talking about? And like your work's great. Like, it, yeah. But I – you see it through totally different eyes. And sure. I, I still go, I still leap to the conclusion if somebody – if somebody tells me they really like my work, my, my first split-second – reaction is oh well you don't have very good taste <laughs> that's, that's, the, uh, you know? <laughs> that's the old groucho marx bit i wouldn't belong to any club that would have me as a member, member. exactly yeah. yeah so it's it's so weird people will say oh i really love this drawing that you did and i'm like really that one like that's the one that i hate you know it's 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 yeah. so strange um so did your did your dad and mom separate at some point yeah i mean they divorced when i was quite young oh so, okay yeah. okay so how's your relationship with your mom it's okay. Not great. It's not. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it, do you hold? I, do you blame her for not? Oh God, no, helping? no, 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 uh, no. I, I never. I mean, she she had a rough time too. So, okay. So I would never. Okay. Uh, okay. I would never. I would never blame her for that. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. I mean, my 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 family over the years, frankly, has like just shrunk and diminished. Like uh, people who were. Um, formerly, I, you know, I felt quite close to have either passed on or have just sort of drifted away or whatever. And, um, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm able to move around as well. Okay. Because I don't have those, those, that anchor of a, of a strong family that I'm close with mm-hmm. to like, cause I, I, there are other people that I've spoken to who are like, Oh, I could never move away from my family. Right. And right. For, I guess that's, that's me, my it's, it's big thing easy. for me. Right. You know, right. Like, right. Like, yeah, but later. so do you feel like you don't have roots? Like you, like you, like you haven't grown into the ground and planted yeah, yourself? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do I mean, you, it's... do you long for that? Do you think about that? I do think about it. Um, Mainly, I mean, because the one thing, like moving around so much, and I, I shouldn't say, you know, like I, I, I was half kidding when I said that that I did it to seem interesting. I mean, as I say, that that is part of it. But the other part of it is that I genuinely love. The, sure, the of course, and the of world course. And, and seeing, you know, I'm very lucky in that I've had opportunity to travel all over the world, and um, and I'm endlessly fascinated by it, and I and I want to see as much of it as I can, right? Um, before I die, and but the, it gets harder to move around and to like to uproot and get, and cause that's the other thing is like to, to move when I left Canada and moved to Germany, I basically got rid, rid of everything I owned. I, I okay. went through and I was merciless and I slashed everything out of my, like anything that wasn't absolutely essential or see, that's gotta be cathartic though. It was. And it's funny because I remember I was I, I was I was kind of live tweeting the process of, <laughs> of getting rid of everything, and I had people you know tweeting back at me saying like Oh my god, I could never do that." And I was like, "No, you can. You absolutely yeah, can. You we... just have to make those decisions of like what is more valuable in my life right now. Is it is it all this stuff that I've accumulated, or is it right that stuff me, doesn't define the, me? The ability to 
pack up and move somewhere and not be chained to this one spot. Right. And so, um, and w- once I started getting rid of things and once I started realizing, I was like, this is just stuff. It's replaceable. You know, the, I, right. I did hang on to the things that were, it's funny, Carl actually in his basement has a couple boxes, a couple crates of like the stuff that I didn't want to get rid of. It's yeah. like the stuff that has sentimental value or right. is replaceable or whatever. Um, like yeah. I have a copy of Brazil autographed by Terry Gilliam. Oh, like I'm never getting yeah, rid of yeah, that. You don't want to get rid of that's, that. That's, so that's, that's, in the, that's in the crate in Carl's basement. But um, I'm playing with this idea in my life on a very small scale because, I mean, with kids and stuff, it's, yeah. it's hard. But it's really worth it's it. It's important. I mean, it's, it's silly for me even to say what I'm doing because it's, it's so minor. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it, it, it helps my head. Mm-hmm. To do it, it's it was it was really worth it to just kind of because I you know I would go through I would look at the my bookshelves and I would see all the stuff that I had bought and a lot of it was stuff that I bought thinking that I was going to use it and then ended up never using it books and, I and stuff books and yeah. stuff and, and I was God. like I bought this at a comic con some art book or some right. you know thing right it's always and art I, books I flipped through it and i was like this is great this is going to be an endless font of inspiration right this is going to change me <laughs> never never left the shelf right and then i and you know and the what you look at it and you're like wow i i i just pissed away all this money on books that i never used or whatever um but i just realized it was like well clearly i can live without this sure i don't need of this. course um, or when when I went to did uh, let me uh, we'll we'll come back to it. I just yeah. how did this affect you as an artist? D- did you grow from letting go? Um, any more than you would naturally just by producing? I I don't know. I, I think certainly so. there was no damage. Maybe. No, there's certainly no damage because that's the all. fear. Not at all. And the thing is, I mean, we live in a time where. If I throw a book away, I can find it on the internet right. or whatever. You know, like yeah. it's – I'm not advocating piracy there, but I'm just saying like – you know, Sure. Like, like, and you can just find images. Easily, yeah, images or whatever. Like like the internet has supplanted the the eight bookshelves that I used to have. Right. Because I, I used to accumulate all these books as the stuff that I would look at for inspiration or whatever. Now I can scroll through Tumblr and find – yeah, you know, three dozen drawings that are inspiring and exciting, and whatever. right, and and that stuff is dynamic. It's always changing, right? So right. that's kind of um, yeah, that's true. It's you know, that's all I need. If I have an iPad, I'm like, I'm good. I don't need all these books and and things, you know? right? Um, and uh, so yeah, I don't. I, I mean, it, did 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 it free me up? It just freed me up. I think to just feel. F- confident so that I could that I could do it uh-huh. and, that these, and that I wasn't buried under things that I could go and have life experience you know which and, is ultimately and, more valuable and that also probably as an artist made you grow more than anything sure yeah absolutely yeah. yeah do you find yourself repeating relationships like semi-abusive relationships in your life no okay no thankfully not like abusive to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no I mean I, that's that's not uncommon. Yeah, from no, no, people no. who come from that. No, I've been I've been extremely um, fortunate in that the women that I've been involved with have all been like really, really amazing. What about friendships? Um, well, I guess they wouldn't be friends. No. But. Uh, well, 
Yeah, there's. I guess there's one significant example. I don't know if I should talk about it though. All right, we don't have to go there. Yeah. Um, I want to get back to just talking about wanting. You had said it's getting harder to move around. Yeah. Why? Like, what's what's getting harder about it? Um, I think just like when you when you're like very young. I think when you're in like your let's say you're 21 and you're moving to a new place or whatever, and and you have all these opportunities to like meet new people and whatever, you know, and, but as you, as you're getting all, you know, I'm in my thirties and you, you go and, and people are married off and have families and things. And right. So it's like harder to meet friends and, mm-hmm. okay. uh, and kind of integrate into a, into a new social scene and, okay. and things. And, and you just have to go through that whole process again of like, it's like dating. It's like, it's like being with somebody and breaking up and then you like, you got to go and date and find a right. new partner and you have to go through that process of sure. going out on dates and telling them all about yourself and right. learning about them so, and whatever. And, and I enjoy that. I mean, that's actually fun, but at the right. same time, it's just, it's a time investment. Sure. Well, and, that's what I was going to, do you have time yeah. for a social life? I try so that I don't go crazy. Well, yeah, I'd imagine you have to. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I struggle with myself. That's yeah. why I ask. I, I don't have one. Yeah. I'm just like, I, I kind of... I but get, you have your family, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. But so, I mean, which I know is not exactly the same thing, but I mean, but you're not like a lonely... No, 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 like no. Right, own. right. Not like Steve Ditko. Right, but <laughs> what I... Right, no, no, no. I'm not just holed up in my... Yeah, in my yeah. No, but what I mean is I don't... All I do is work and like take care of family stuff. Yeah. So the, like there's no extracurricular life. Yeah. So like I, I think I get out maybe once a month yeah. to have a couple beers with a friend and yeah. that's about it. What's your – is – I, I tend to do more than that but I, I definitely work all the time. And the last year of my life in particular um, or a little over a year actually, a year and a half, has been the busiest I've ever been. Because I'm like working on Batgirl and Fight Club simultaneously right, and all right. that stuff, uh, it just became a, a ridiculous workload. What's your how many like how many hours a week are we talking about? Mm, I don't know. Like I'd be putting in. I would be working often. I'd be doing like twelve hour days, seven days a week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a lot. You know. It's it's. It's the thing. I saw a thing on Twitter today, you know, where uh, – do you know Film Crit Hulk? You know that guy? Yes. Um, who's so smart and so, and it's funny to say Film Crit Hulk. Is, <laughs> but he's, he's so great. But he, he, was, he was kind of doing this little speech about, about how you have to like – to be a filmmaker. But I think it's equally applicable to comics is like if you want to do this, you have to love the the – unbelievably unforgiving grind of doing it. Sure. The, the pain and the anguish of doing yeah, something it's, creatively it's, and the failure and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you have to, you have to thrive on that. Sure. Otherwise it's not for you, you know? Right. Like, and it's something I always tell people when they want to try and break. Yeah, it. absolutely. Like, you have to like really sell them on that. It's like, this is a hard job yeah, that's, really that will suck your soul away. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally <laughs> and it will, and you like, you won't have a social life and whatever. I feel um, like I'm asking too much of life now. Like I just want one day a week off. Like is that is that? I've been learning crazy? to do that. I have been learning to do that. And and frankly, so you are doing that. I am doing it now because I did hit a point, 
And I think it coincided with what I was referring to earlier about like when I first moved to Scotland and I was in kind of a dark place because just because of the post breakup and not knowing people and whatever. And then, and then on top of that as well, it was just like deadline city and, and I was really stressed out. And I think a lot of my, um, a lot of my friends, you know, like Brendan and Babs, I think noticed it and uh-huh. would like say, "Are you okay? Things all right with you?" You know, because I was, I was, I think I was pretty short with them a lot of the time, and okay. you know, and um, and I, I could see myself sort of headed for a breaking point, and I was like, "If I, I'm not there yet, mm-hmm. but if I keep doing this, I'm going to burn out, and I'm probably going to burn out bad, and I don't, and I don't want to do that." I don't what do you think it. would happen? Um. I think I would probably ju- I, I like I think I would just say fuck it and and leave for a bit which would be really unprofessional for me to do and I and and I don't want to do that. Right. I don't want to get to that point, you know. So you forced um, a day off a week. I'm learning the value of that now of like even if I just sit and play Arkham Knight all day or something. Yeah, 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 you know, just turn your mind like, off. Just do something that's not work. And I think that when you when you return to it, um, it's a little, you know, you're, you're maybe a little more refreshed to do it. I, th- I, th- I think it was Scotty Young years ago. I s- he tweeted something that, that really struck me. I think it was him. Um, but it says it was like sometimes the times when you can least afford to screw around are the times when you need it the most. Yeah. And – and I was like, yeah, yeah, like that makes total sense to me. Because I'm, I'm at that crossroads yeah. now. Like I, I've, I've always like I guess if I'm looking at, and this is therapy talking, if I'm looking at my mind, or if we're looking at an artist, I feel like there's two sides. You have got the creative, free spirit side, and then for us, I think there's the the real, the realist, realist side, mm-hmm. where it's more logic, more deadlines, more schedules, you know, more professionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think if you think about artists, you know, I always like think where on that spectrum between the two do they lie? Mm-hmm. And I'd always, and, I, and if I look at myself, I'd push myself all the way over to the left. I had strangled and, and squelched that, that free spirit voice because of deadlines and life and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm realizing the value of, of what I turned my back on, I guess when my kids were born, probably. Um, and, and just letting go, like Mm -hmm. I need to do that. And taking that one day off Mm -hmm. lets you come back fresher. The other thing that I'm allowing myself to do, and this may not be to my editor's, uh, satisfaction, but I'm kind of, is that I'm, I've always prided, prided myself on being professional. Right, getting the job done, right, and whatever. But at the same time, I'm I'm kind of at a stage now where I'm just like, if they tell me the deadline is tomorrow, but I but I don't feel comfortable that it's going to get done tomorrow, I'll just go no. Yeah, which is how you, we, you won't get this tomorrow. But I feel like that's how we should be. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've yeah. been like you, where I would just kill myself yeah. to get it done the next day, but at what cost? Yeah, exactly. at what yeah. cost? Yeah. In, not just for that project, yeah, but but in terms of how I'm perceived professionally, yeah. like then they become reliant upon that behavior. Yeah. And at what cost in terms of my artistic growth mm-hmm. is, is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm and, not saying be and, a complete fuck up, but, but 
I, I'm sure you know people who don't pay attention to any deadlines and they just, when they sit down to draw, it's just like ex- an explosion at the art table happens and whatever they get done, they get done. And whenever yeah. it's done, it gets done. And they seem to be doing fine. Yeah, totally. And there's the, the thing that gets me too is that there's like, and I understand, I mean, obviously we don't, we don't get into this business without an understanding of the fact that it is a business and right. that there's product that needs to be, there's colored paper that needs to be sold and we need to get this stuff out. You sure, know, whatever. sure. So I know that. I know that it's a business, whatever. But um, but at the same time, there's this increased uh, scrutiny on, on behalf of the readers and everything now. It's like mm-hmm. comics used to be ephemeral. It was like a thing that would come out and you'd you know throw it away and the next one would come out a month right, later or whatever. Right, and right, right. And, and the, the art was of a arguably much lower standard and so on. And, and now, you know, now people expect Olivier Coppel and, and right. you know, uh, these, these incredibly detailed, beautiful drawings on a monthly schedule. Right. And, um, and I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if it's feasible right. to, to, to do that amount of, unless you're superhuman, right? To just be able, like, I mean, I guess Stuart Immonen, yeah. <laughs> he, he does like thirteen issues a year, but he's a he's an exceptional case, you know. Like, but, but, um, well, yeah, but okay, and you're right. I'm I'm not, I'm not going to down downplay what you said about Stuart at all. But he's also not inking himself. That's true. That is, and you true. are, yeah. yeah. No, and that's true. I mean, that's one thing yeah. I think about a lot. Like, sure, if I didn't ink myself. I could pencil a monthly book and have this amazing casual life. Like yeah. I could pencil a book fast. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not Stuart Eminem, but I could get it done yeah, and, yeah. and live yeah. much happier than I am now. But the, but what my point was is that, is that in the past where these things were less, um, excuse me, like less, uh, scrutinized or whatever you want to say, like now, we know that these books will be in print forever right? and the, and people will see them and people will judge you on them and whatever. And there's this thing of like now I would so much rather work knowing that if I'm going to take two extra days to do this, at least I'm going to be more happy with the final product than knowing that I rushed it out to get a deadline right? and that it's in print forever. And making it look better – while it might annoy someone that it took a couple extra days, in the long run, I think it's not going to hurt you at all. No, anything, and, and as you. long as you're not like – I mean as I say, I've, I've, I've always been pretty good with deadlines. And yeah. I, I, you know, no matter how many times my editors will, will harp on me and go, this needs to get done, I know it. Like I know yeah. it more than they do almost. Like I'm constantly every day. Right, I'm, nothing's ever shipped If I'm not late. producing – Every day, or whatever you know, aside from this this new thing of like taking a day off a week or whatever. Yeah. Like if I'm not doing it every day, I feel like anxiety of like I I need to be working. Right. Well, that's out. my next question. And, but yeah. go ahead, finish what you're saying. Um, but uh, but now I'm at a stage where I'm I'm just kind of like, yeah, like I'll, I I I will. <laughs> so my Fight Club uh, editors give me a schedule for 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 it, right. and I barely look at it. And I, I kind of get, I look over, I glance over it. I get, um, I'm sure they don't want to listen to this, but, but <laughs> I kind of glance over and I get email. a general sense of when it's due. And then I, and then I don't pay attention to it. And I just kind of work. And I, and but that's I know healthy like, for you. Yeah. I'm like, I know when it's due. I'll get it to you. Don't worry. I won't screw you over. Right. Like I'll get this done. But at the same time, I, d- I did at one point have to say, like, just lay off with the deadline stuff because like, 
I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not some person who's going to screw you right. and fail to deliver, you know, and then you'll have to fire me and replace me. Like I'm not that person, you know, let I've me, let me ask like you this that. when, before you had this mindset, when you had the earlier mindset, yeah. Was was the schedule affecting you on a daily basis? Like thinking about where you are, what you have to get done, where I have to be in in terms of the schedule. This week I have to get this much done. Am I behind? Yeah, yeah. Was that so, constant yeah. cycling through your head? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because that that's what I was doing. Yeah, and I think it's it's when you're I'm I'm uh, confident in my standing as a professional now. Like I feel like my work's known. I've got a significant body of it. Sure. Um, people know that I'm reliable and whatever. So now I feel I don't feel that early pressure to prove to somebody that you're a pro, right? Like right. I think when you're when you're younger and just starting out and you don't have a lot of right. experience, you want to show those editors who are maybe hiring you for the first time. I'm gonna knock this out of the park, and I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna hit the deadline. And um, I, you know, I did ridiculous things in my early career to like prove to editors that I was you like, know, what'd you do? I, I traveled to New York to hand deliver <laughs> pages from uh-huh. Toronto. Um, and that was partly because I wasn't finished them yet. And I, and I needed to buy some, myself some time. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> if you can wait till Monday, I will come into the DC office and I will hand it to you in person. Um, and, uh, and, but that was the, the, the hunger of like, sure. you know, Look at how dedicated I am to doing this on time, right. and, and, you know. And and um, now it's it's more like I'm dedicated to making this as good as it can be, right? Um, and and I I'm less concerned about the, the deadlines. Yeah, that's. So. I, I I think we're in a very similar place mentally with all that. I I think with me though, because <clears throat> my career is kind of just starting over the past few few years Mm -hmm. that i'm having to go through a lot of what people go through when they're younger Mm -hmm. but when i'm older and have kids and stuff that makes it tricky Mm -hmm. but for me it was like i'd have these schedules just constantly pounding on me Mm -hmm. and i finally deleted everything off my calendar Mm -hmm. and just like what you said i just i know when it's due and if it's if they want the 25th i can turn in the 27th I I set these little kind of goals for myself where I go, today's Monday. I'm going to have five pages done by Friday. Mm -hmm. And and that will be my goal. Right. And uh, and it's not what's according to the deadline or according to the schedule, but it's like that's my personal goal. It's like I will get these pages. And then if I fail that, then I feel bad at myself. Right. I was going to ask you about that. I've let myself down on this. Right. But do, do you find that you don't meet that goal sometimes? Every so often, and but, and how but do you for the deal most part, that? I do, I think, or exceed it sometimes, which is great. Yeah, that that's yeah. a feeling. That's a really good feeling. Yeah. But when like when I fall short of my goal, I feel like I like what happens to me is I go into this cycle of catch up where I I place what I didn't finish onto next week, which is already a full week, and I'm just right. chasing myself till it's done, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. just throw my whole life down the toilet to yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. That's not healthy. It's it's not healthy at all. <laughs> it's like you know, comics is comics is rough. It's really. But then you know, I look at anytime I start feeling like comics is a grind that's killing me. I think about like, what if I was directing a movie? It would be a hundred times worse than this. 
Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Can you imagine being James Cameron? Or or no 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 Peter I Jackson understand the pressure like, of that but they also have like, hundreds of people they have hundreds of people we're helping them I mean we're doing it you know with a skeleton crew well of like not four, just helping but, them but, but around them yeah like to yeah. be alone and just destroying your own yourself from the inside <laughs> with nobody around it's like you've given yourself the 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 least fighting chance against yourself yeah I guess. But, but yeah, what, I mean, I understand. But why do you do it? Why do you do it? It's what I do. I mean, it's who That's I right. am. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. That's right. We have no choice. No, no, you're right. I, and I and I'm not trying to make it sound like I hate this. I want out. Yeah. That's not it at all. It's I'm, a hard concept to describe. Like I'll go on a I'll go on a date with somebody and I'll and I'll tell them about what I do and I you know I draw. Wow, that sounds like the coolest thing ever. And I go, actually, it's fucking killer. Right. And I'll like and I'll and I'll kind of complain about how awful it is. But then I'll go, but you know, I love it. It's like yeah. it's this we- that weird dichotomy of it like is. of like it's the worst thing in the world, but I would never do anything else. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, like, I, could, I would be miserable doing anything yeah, else. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'd be making so much more money if I was doing storyboards oh. for gum ads or yeah. something. Yeah, but then, oh, yeah. but then yeah. you're doing storyboards for gum ads and who wants to do that? Right, right. So right. some, some I, storyboard artist is listening to this. <laughs> yeah, but he... That, that's, what am I doing with Storyboard artist has, has financial security <laughs> and, and vacations. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, fuck, I just had a good thought. I don't know. Um, well, let me see. What, I, you, let's... Break. Do you want to keep going? Yeah, why or, not? All right. So, well, what time is it? Time. It's uh, five thirty. We got time. Okay. So let's let's take a quick little break, and then we can come back and and do another part. Crack me a new bitch 
she bust a new nut on a nigga's jersey. My bitch got off at 9 o'clock, so I had to shake around. 105, I'm stumping fast with these big guns. I'm hella dirty. Get caught with this shit. I ain't coming home till like 2030. I got big money, big booty bitches, man. That shit gon' be death for me. Big problems, I must admit it, man. That shit gon' be death for me. Big dreams, no superstition, man. That shit gon' be death for me. I pray to a C note. My mama gave a pope. I can't stand myself. I just bought a new coat. I might go broke. I can't stand myself. I just might ban myself. myself. I just might. God. I focus really best. Cause my eyes be the truth. God. I focus really best. Cause my eyes be the truth. <laughs> Mental window blurry as a bitch. Still looking out it. So much money off the fucking books. Go write a book about it. Took a minute. No, wait a minute. Let me think about it. About 10 years. Crips, bloods, sweat and tears, and we still counting. Had a real thick bitch named Brooklyn. She fucked the whole squad. Now, every time I land in Brooklyn, they fuck with the whole squad. Uh, I'm more spiritual than lyrical. I'm similar to Eli. Why? Because I'm wearing black shades and I'm headed west with the word of God. Amen. Yeah. I think I'm finally ready to talk about it. These niggas just talk about it. Homie, don't play me for no fool. Popping bottles like enemigos. Oh, Dios mio, I'm so cold. Get so deep in that water, water, they should call my Johnson a harpoon. Feed the needy, don't know graffiti. Paint the walls like a cartoon. Beat the pussy up so bad. Send her home with some war wounds. Loaded off the yak, hit her from the back, go across her head. Bar stool, touch her soul till I curl her toes. Then it's time to reload, then it's part hmm. two. Damn near 30, still set tripping, cuz where you from, mama? See about it. Last year I made 10 million, that's where I've been, yeah. I'm private island, smoking something, oh, I don't probably got too many cars, I might crash with. New Rari pedal, barely tapping, nigga, rem, rem. Yeah, I'm rich, bitch, got two rollies, but one missing. Think my daughter flossing, she in kindergarten. Got one crib worth two cribs on my front lawn. Yeah, that's what I thought. And you be talking boss, saying big words like philosophies. Man, you weird, homie, but it sounds to me that you broke as fuck. And your bitch gon' leave, and that's real, homie. I got big money, big booty bitches, man. That shit gon' be death for me. Death for me. Big problems, I must admit it, man. That shit gon' be death for, death me. for me. Big dreams. No superstition, man. That shit gon' be death for, death for me. I pray to a seed note. My mama gave a pope. I can't stand myself. I just bought a new coat. I might go broke. I can't stand myself. myself. I just might bear myself. myself. I just might. God. God. <laughs>